right now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here in the city of Portland, Oregon, at the Momentum <laughs> Studios. I got a co-host again with me this week. It's none other than Spencer <laughs> Shea. How goes it, my man? I rough for the whole team, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we missed you we last back. week, man. We missed you. Bro, I'm telling you, it's going around. You can hear me now. I'm a little bit, you know what I'm saying, stuffed and congested. I'll keep it a bean sprout with you right now. But I'm in the studio, man. I'm happy to be back. Be back. I'm glad I got my little break. But, you know what I'm saying, Just, vitamin C and zinc, people. Get it in. Absolutely, absolutely. We're glad to have you back, man. Zeb held it down for you over there, though. Zeb, you, you be ready to chime in today when we talk about the NFL, brother. I'm here if you need me. Yeah, hey. oh, I need you because I, I haven't forgotten about your uh, predictions last week <laughs> against mine <laughs> and who came out on the right side of things and who didn't. So you be ready, Zeb. I, know what, you, I, already know, what you, I already know what you said, Zeb. I already know what you said without even knowing you said it. Bro. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But we'll prior to that, that, that Joe Burr. That Joe Burrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get to all of that. The black on black Super Bowl. We'll get to all of that here shortly. But um, prior to that, I got to get to win shares. That's what we start with here. As uh, I got a busy weekend on the horizon. No DJing. So if you came to hear where I'll be spending this weekend, prepare to be disappointed because I won't be on the ones and twos this weekend. That'll be next weekend. I'll be back at it on Saturday the 11th at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge. And then I'll also be there doing an R&B night on the 14th on Valentine's night. So my next couple of gigs will be there. Got a lot coming up, though, later on in in this month and going into March, things that I'm really excited about. Um, so you all stay tuned. Y'all will be the first ones to know once we announce that. But we got some good things cooking, and I'm excited about it on that front. Um, but in regards to the sports world, tonight I'll be at Portland State against Idaho Vandals. We'll be right there in the Viking Pavilion. Tune in on ESPN Plus. And, uh, well, you'll hear this on Friday because the game is on a Thursday. So go back and watch it on ESPN Plus if you will, if you're not able or because you won't be able to see it tonight. Not if you were getting informed by me in this podcast. Um, but I'll be there anyway tonight versus Idaho Vandals. Then Friday I will be at Pacific University. It's a Wits weekend down in Forest Grove. Friday it'll be Whitworth. Coming into town, the men's and women's games. Women's tip off at 6 p.m. Men tip off at 8 p.m. It'll be on GoBoxers.com. Tune in to me and this fella right here if you want to hear a wake up and win rendition of a basketball call or two because it'll That's be two games. It's <laughs> a good because we, we basically podcast on the call. Um, so and tune they haven't in to that. Stopped us yet? I don't know what they're doing. Over yeah, there. they haven't stopped us. Actually, man, we get a lot more good <laughs> nah, feedback nah, than nah, bad. So sure. I don't think they're gonna stop us anytime <laughs> soon. But yeah, we we take risk on that broadcast to say the least. So you should tune in and see if you can catch the risk. But um, then Saturday, I'll be on the call. Now, I'll be split. I will be calling the women's game versus Whitman at 4 p.m. But the men's game, which is at 6 p.m., I won't be calling. Spencer will still be on the call for that game. It'll right. be Spencer and Brant Minor on the call for that game. But this is one of the rare times of the season where I have a schedule conflict and I've got a Portland State game and a Pacific game that will be happening at the same time. So I'll be going down to uh, Portland State to call their game at 7 p.m. So, yeah, think about it. 4 p.m. tip-off, I'll call the women's game. As soon as that game ends, I'm jetting it from Forest Grove 
down to Portland, downtown Portland, to be there basically just in time for tip off for so Portland lucky. State men's so game against lucky Eastern that's Washington. Happen on a Saturday too, because if it was a Friday, you'd yeah, be goose. yeah, the traffic, it'd yeah, it'll be over, it'll be over. So yeah, fortunately, it is on a Saturday where I don't have to deal with like. Um, f- traffic, folks going home or to or wherever it is that they're deciding to go after work. It will be a Saturday. So I'll make it, but I, it will be like right just prior to tip-off. But, hey, I'm cool with it. I'll be there. But you can tune in to that game or on ESPN+. Plus, or you can decide who you like more, myself or Spencer, because we'll both <laughs> be on the call at the same time. <laughs> so... <laughs> If you like Spencer and what he says on the podcast, you go listen to him against Whitman for the men's game at 6 p.m. If you like me and what I do, tune in on ESPN+. Plus. It'll be Portland State versus Eastern Washington. If you like both, watch his game for the first hour from Mm. 6 to whenever. Or you can even watch his full game for all that matters. And then tune in to the second half of my game, man, because I'm an hour tip-off later than his. I'm a (laughs) second-half player, so if you're going to tune to a half, go second half for me. also, well, it, if that's the if that's what you're advising, then yeah, they basically got to choose who they like between you and I. If you make a decision, just don't <laughs> at me. I don't care what you think. Just don't at me about it, bro. <laughs> Tune in, hear the hoops. Don't talk to me about it, bro. Keep that to yourself. Adam anyway. Adam anyway. Adam anyway. He needs to see it. He needs to hear from you. Um, I've heard. I've, I've been hearing plenty from the internet these days, brother. All right, I'm cool off of that for a minute. <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> <laughs> that right. I digress. Right. Well, I got weird share. I got some projects. Real quick, I got yeah, what pro- you got I mean, going. I got I got a project coming out with my friends uh, Austin and Jackson. They're in a group called Mystery Tape. They do a lot of stuff, uh, re- release a lot of music. And if you listen, I'm, I was just telling uh, my homie right here that uh, I wasn't going to tell it. But this is the podcast. This is the family. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to let that information fly on the podcast. But other than that. I'm not going to advertise that I was on any of this stuff. But I got some stuff coming out with mystery Why? tape. Why are you not? Is that a part of I mystery tape? I, yeah, it's called I, mystery yeah, tape. Yeah, the group is called mystery tape. Right. The right, group right. or the project? The, the group. Their group is okay. called mystery tape. Uh huh. And so I think that it's just a cool idea to be like, because it's not so just. So you're trying me. to be like her? Him, <laughs> no, no. I, I just, I just Them, think it's, for crying out loud. <laughs> that, no, I, I, uh, I just think it's a cool idea to be like, dude, just uh, take the music in objectively. You know what I'm saying? Without being like, oh, let me attach my expectations uh. of like what I do music because it's a, it's not what I've d- done necessarily in the past. Yeah, musically. Yeah, you know you've always been sort of front facing, like front facing, and like doing like a lot of like blues and soul and R and B. So that's it's it's sort of that, but it's a little bit Spencer, more poppy. the singer who likes to hang out with all the ladies who he serenaded after the show. You don't want to be that guy anymore, huh? I I, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, dude. I'm just I've asking never, questions. I've never, as even, a journalist should. <laughs> well, well, to answer your question, I've uh, never even met a lady in my life. Oh wow! Think, okay. And, and for right now, as it stands today, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so, all right. Fifth, you got it. I'm one, just asking. One, two, three, four, fifth. <laughs> you pleaded, huh? <laughs> no, but also, you know, like we were talking about the games, and then some other stuff coming up too. But we'll yeah. get to that. No, for sure. No, I just yeah. wanted to know, like, with the mystery tape. You know, like I said, we've seen the concept with yeah, artists well, like her who who just right. honestly became too big to 
be in disguise anymore. Like, what if you get to that point where it's like, oh, I'm this music awesome. purist and I want people to be objective. And then you just, the song well, blows I up, mean, you blow up to be too big. You just got to put your face right back out there. Bro, again. ideally, if that ever did happen in some quasi-universe, I would have made a ton of money. Yes. And then it's like, I, I want, you know... Fuck you, money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 so if yeah, I yeah, get yeah. that to that point, then I'm cool with whatever. Right, so, right, right, right. But at right. any rate, I just I'm just happy to be playing music again. I know I've been saying that music's gonna come out soon, but you know, we're artists, we're sensitive, so it's gonna take a while to get stuff that we like. But it's yeah, coming. For sure. It's coming. For sure, for Stay sure. Tuned. We'll be waiting for it right here on the podcast. I don't want to start on a somber note, but y'all know for obvious reasons we got some somber things to talk about here on the podcast today. So with that said, I want to celebrate blackness. It is now Black History Month, and we got black-on-black -black things that we ain't so proud of that's been in the news cycle lately. But we also got some black-on-black -black things that I think we should be very proud of in the news cycle lately. And that is that we will have a black-on-black -black Super Bowl. It will be Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. The first time ever we will have two black starting quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. And that's something to celebrate. And it's even more so something to celebrate because my guy, my engineer, Zebulon Dak, predicted that we would not have this last week. Zeb, <laughs> I told you I was coming to you. Give me your recap Explain from the weekend, yourself, my man. Sir. Give and me your recap. I mean, I think, honestly, I think we're getting the best matchup possible out of the four teams. Agreed. So that's good. Yeah. I, I, I really was rooting for the Bengals. Um, I wanted to see them in. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're just a fun team to me. Uh-huh. But with the Niners in Philly, like – I didn't want the Niners to win that game, but I really thought <laughs> that they were going to be able to pull it off. And the fact Delusions. that they got, I mean, I thought it was at least going to be close. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought it would be more competitive. Obviously you can't predict injuries like that. For sure. You know, but they, that probably wouldn't have been enough for them anyway. So I agree. The Eagles, the Eagles are the one. The Eagles are the one, man. Best. I believe the best team in yeah. football, yeah, which I do agree with you. We got the best case scenario because it'll be the best team in football versus the best quarterback in football. And to me, you can't ask for too much more than that. Can we see the, the heroism of Patrick Mahomes obviously being able to make it to the Super Bowl this year? His dad is smoking on that Joe Burrow. <laughs> <laughs> smoking on that Joe Burrow. You know. You know, like we got that going on here. And uh, But, you know, it's the quarterback position. It's probably the most prestigious position there is in American sports. So – you think about that, Joe Burrow playing against against who I, again, think is the most complete team in football. Obviously, defensively, just stellar. The front lines on both sides for the Eagles is stellar as well. I've obviously talked about Jalen Hurts, who has just obviously played very well this year, but what's been most impressive to me has been his ability to protect the ball. And obviously, you'll credit that. And in, in part, in large part, to the front line, but also you got to give him his props too because he gets the job done out there. He still makes plays, which usually, if you're a playmaker, you probably throw picks too. And what I like about Jalen Hurts in particular is, yeah, there may be some better playmakers in the league at his position, but he makes enough plays to get to his team to a point where they're now getting ready to play in the Super Bowl and still takes care of the football. That is what Dak Prescott couldn't do. Right. 
That was my biggest criticism of Prescott going into the game against San Francisco. There's question marks around him because I don't know if he can make enough plays to allow his team overcome the victory, albeit he will still have the support of his defense and special teams and just other parts of, of his team to be able to support him in actually getting the job done. The difference between Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott is Jalen Hurts makes the amount of plays necessary to secure victories for his team, which is why we will be seeing him playing in the Super Bowl, and which is why you got basically the two top two MVP candidates this year that'll be facing off at quarterback in Black History Month in the Black on Black Super Bowl for the first time ever. I'm here. Well, I don't know about the candidate aspect of it, but as far as them being two starting black quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowl against each other, yes, that's the first time ever, and I'm beyond proud of that. Yeah, it's pretty cool, uh, especially because you kind of figured that this would happen ultimately anyway. You know what I'm saying? Just in the, I mean, the talent is through the roof. Yeah. I will say this, though. I like the point that you made, taking care of the football, because if you're Philadelphia, that is the number one thing that you get, keep the ball possessed offensively as much as you can, because we know yeah. you give Patrick Holmes yeah, 40 Holmes, yeah. seconds. Yeah. He might make it shake out there. Absolutely. With, with quiet, <laughs> yeah. So that's a scary prospect. Absolutely. With quietly the, the best quarterback-receiver tandem in him and Travis Kelsey since Brady and Gronk. Yeah. It's just automatic. And so I think it's just going to be a really fun sort of chess match. I agree. Out there to see, like... And I think, I mean, the, the, the biggest blessing for Mahomes in particular is he made it to the point of the postseason where he gets basically a bye week. And nobody needs that more than him, obviously, with the ankle injury. We saw him playing on a bum ankle out there, and he did what he does and made magic and still was able to come away victorious against a very good Bengals team. He obviously got helped a little bit as well. Some would say he got some help from the officials. Others would say he got help from the the Bengals defense and being pushed in the back at the end of the game to, to get that penalty called and allow his team to be in in field goal position. And they successfully uh, made the field goal, but either way, with one leg, basically, he got it done, which is what we're accustomed to him doing at this point in his career, and he gets it done every which way. But for him to have two weeks off now to be able to heal up, get treatment, rest up, to be able to play in what's going to be one of the biggest games of his life, obviously, he's, this ain't the first time he's going to the Super Bowl, but there will be no game bigger than this one as far as just games that he's been able to play in, AFC championships, playoffs, state championships, high school, college, you name it. Um, He's back at it again, and I think him having two weeks off makes him really, really dangerous. Now, because my religion is Raider and I bleed silver and black, I cannot root for Patrick Mahomes to win in the Super Bowl. So, therefore, my prediction, Zeb, is that the Philadelphia Eagles will be your 2022 2023 Super Bowl champions. Fellas, I need your predictions. What say you, Zeb? Oh, I'm with you. I think it's the Eagles. I think it's going to be a good game, though. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, I've been calling the Eagles to win the Super Bowl since like week eight of yeah. 2003. Like, you know what I mean? Like 20 years. <laughs> 
I. What are you smoking in there? Back <laughs> you got back there, Zeb. Joe Burrow. That Joe Burrow. <laughs> he, he's smoking on that Joe, Joe Burrow back. Yeah, no, I, I just. I, <laughs> damn it, that's funny. I just got oh, the Eagles because I think they're a more complete football team. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that they're a more complete football team, but you are playing against a team with more experience. Um, in the coaching regard, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, obviously being experienced, right. Kelsey, that Chiefs team, like they, they've they've gotten accustomed to playing football at this time of the year. I think more so than the Eagles have in recent years. So I think you got again, it, you got all the ingredients of what should make a really great Super Bowl: best team versus best player. The better team, I think, has less experience, but the team that may not be as well-rounded has more experience like the balance is completely there outside of we got two black quarterbacks and that's the type of imbalance I'll take now we got to get some more um black on black stuff that's been in the news cycle and this is where we get a little bit more on the somber note um obviously you know we're going to discuss Tyree Nichols and his passing due to police Brutality and and police violence out of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, there were five officers that were arrested and named initially, which we'll get to the ones who had their names delayed because those are the ones whose name I'll actually say. Um, but before we get there, obviously, you know, you start off just here we are again. Um, another black man being violently mistreated by that of Police officers. Now, there's obviously been a different conversation surrounding Tyree Nichols, condolences to his family, um, and condolences to anybody who has been triggered and trauma and traumatized by us being at this particular point yet again here in our nation's history. But aside from that, conversation has been a little different because the five officers whose names were released initially in the initial support. I mean, an initial report, excuse me, um, all happen to be black police officers. So there's definitely sort of this internal conversation that's happening amongst black people that is has widespread beyond black people, as just about all things black do, good or bad or indifferent for that matter. Um, and, and for me, I, I guess just to start with that as a black man who's talking about black on black violence in this way. Um, especially being that it came from police officers, my stance isn't any different about this particular situation of police violence against a black man because the officers were black. I'm somebody who has always fought the system of policing. And yes, does it have racial undertones? Absolutely. But just because you start to give black people a little bit of access to this industry, this institution, even if you will, um, that doesn't change a what the institution was born out of, which was slave catching. If we all know that about policing and two, who is more disproportionately affected in negative ways by this particular system than others from a racial dynamic. And the reality of it is. Now, I, I think the conversation could be a little bit different if it was five black police officers doing this to a white man. But the fact that the victim here is yet again a black man that we're discussing, to me, 
it just ultimately shows an absolute system failure and a system that needs revamping. It really needs to just be burned down and put all the way back together because yet again, we're dealing with another issue like this. And so I I really am indifferent in regards to the fact that obviously it's unfortunate. I hate to see it. I hate to see us treat each other like that in the streets. I hate to see us treat each other like that in this instance where it's police officers against a black man. But nonetheless, like, I think this more so still speaks to the system of policing than it does any racial dynamics of how this happened. And again, like I said, especially being that it was the black man that was treated this this way, I would be a lot more shocked and surprised had it been five black police officers killing a white man violently. That just is something that I'm not accustomed to seeing. <laughs> and so I would be a little bit more shocked in that regard, but I would even still say for that white man, the system failed him too um, because the system I think ultimately is a failure. And, you know, I've done a lot of work to try to work around that and, and, and give alternatives to that particular system. Things like Portland street response, which I've been directly a part of. Many of you know the work I do at Street Roots. A lot of it goes up against that particular system of policing because the way that homeless and unhoused people are disproportionately affected here in this very market by the system of policing. So this is work that I've been a part of and this is work that I do, but I think more so the victim, which should always matter in any scenario, whether it be policing or anything else, just so happens to be who we expected it to be. And until that changes and the the expected doesn't happen to the victim, to me, whoever it is that's the perpetrator is a perpetrator who fell into a system that was meant to break down and ultimately, in this case, kill victims like that of Tyree Nichols, who uh, happens to be a black man. So that's kind of my stance on that, ultimately, um, because, again, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people sort of just having these conversations around that because it does look a little different. We're more accustomed to seeing white, white officers being the perpetrators. And in this case, um, there was a white officer who was a perpetrator in this situation whose name was actually delayed. Um, we had these black officers who were arrested right away. And when they got arrested, again, we've had all these conversations. We're like, okay, you know, this is unfortunate that we're in this particular situation and that we have another guy dying by the hands of the police. But since then, we have had a white officer who has been reported to have been a part of this particular situation and... There was nothing said about it. That, to me, is wild. Absolutely wild. I want to know from you now, Spencer, what are your thoughts on that? And when you just initially hear that, five black officers, and I'm putting, it on, I'm putting the pressure on you to have to obviously respond to this question. Five black officers get their names released, and then the one white officer who was a part of the situation with video, which video evidence has now shown is the ones whose name was delayed in this situation. Well, you asked. Um, I did. We here. First off, rest in peace, Tyree Nickel, of course. But I would say, obviously, it's it's uh, it's expected. You know, this isn't surprising to me that 
something like this occurs and then the very first reaction from you know the the press from the police side is say okay well let's put these five black faces all over the internet mm-hmm. and then demonstrate how we are just absolutely throwing them to the wolves as far as their career and, and whatever is concerned and then quietly you know dismiss this other white dude on leave and try to keep that under the rug we know why that's that you know what i'm saying so and i and i do want to say not to interrupt the white officer's name is preston Hemphill. because again i told you i was gonna say his name i'm not saying the other five officers name because we already know what's gonna happen today black asses yes. but we're gonna name him preston it, it, Hemphill. Yo, that's name. the thing bro it's like i'm just it's so f- concerning that it's like we know that policing is trying to uphold racism at its core. Yes. That is part and parcel with their entire, you it's know. It's what it's born it's, out it's of. what they do. It's what they do. My thing is, is that, like, you, you're, you're more concerned with trying to protect whiteness in this way. If, if, if you want to, symbolically speaking, you're trying yeah. to protect whiteness, then you are trying to change the the optics of killing people specifically black people like you're more concerned with let's try to protect this white guy named Preston yeah than we are trying to protect obviously people citizens black people who clearly get you know uh, have this stuff happen to them all the time and it's like it's just it's it sucks because this is an opportunity it's a bad that's a bad word choice but you know this is an instance that you can start to change the dynamics and the optics and the way that you deal with these sorts of occurrences and to change the landscape of policing for a for the better but you're but you're more concerned with just trying to protect a white dude named Preston yeah. Than you are about the black man that was killed on camera again. Yeah. And it's just like, it, it to me, it sucks because it's like, you know, a lot of the discourse has been, well, we said a cab and it's like, yeah, I mean, totally. And I think everybody agrees with that, that it's like, it doesn't matter what face you put into that uniform. M- most people only see blue yeah, rightfully for sure. And so I just, I'm just, it sucks because it's like, all right, you have like a sort of a unique uh, uh, expression of this systemic issue inside of policing and just right on time, like the bus, you just screw that opportunity up and 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 play the same game that you played. You've been playing for four or five hundred years now. Yeah. And it's like, what, I just don't understand why that the opportunity for policing like, and you know me, man, every time that these things happen, I always try to just look as objectively as possible and be like, yo, like, let me help you for a second dog. If you really are the, if, if you're the police, the Memphis police department and you're their PR person, it does not take 
a, a, an excruciatingly savvy media person to figure yeah. out how to be like, let's spin this in a way to make ourselves look better. Yeah. And I just don't know who they have yeah. up there running yeah. me. Because it's sure. like, yo. For sure. That that is your money. How are when are you gonna get an opportunity in this country? And they don't come very often for something like this to occur. And it just so happened that it's five black faces that we see on yeah. the end of it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm not trying to. Obviously, I'm not advocating for the police, for but sure. it's like, yo, this is your moment here. To try to spin it back in the favor of like, see, it's not a systemic racism issue. It's a, but because they're more concerned with the fact that they want to, they just want to protect their ability to kill people indiscriminately on the streets. Yeah. That's what matters to police. Yes. Yes. That's what they want. For sure. That's why they're, they're hyper militarized. That's why the defund the police thing has always been where people go, well, you can't just defund the police. It's like, we're not talking about defund the police. We're talking about get the AR-15s out the back of their, their cars. Yeah. Let's start there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so it's just like opportunity after opportunity for even if you don't – even if you're trying to continue to have the right to be able to kill people on the street that you don't like, you could at least spin it to make it – a little bit more digestible for people, you know, voting. Maybe maybe these chiefs of police trying to be mayors someday. Like, there's, it's not a very hard game to play. But yeah. these, these people are just so interested in killing minorities, mostly, that they are willing to screw up every opportunity to try to, to deflect or absolve themselves from that kind of yeah. like, public scrutiny uh-huh. it's like they don't care at all about that, that. <laughs> all they matter. care about is yeah. i don't give a shit what you what you think of me as long as i can tomorrow go out and, and, and put get another and, body and kill get another body yeah then you can say all that you want about me yeah and that yeah. to me is incredibly disturbing and concerning and i just don't know you know like after this situation i'm just like you know i don't know <laughs> yeah and again just going back to that like you know a lot of people, like, there's always these conversations, and this is just going back to the racialized aspect of this. Because it is, again, pretty unique that that we get something like this to happen. Um, but, like, I grew up in the inner city. And, and I grew up in a city where, obviously, there was tension between community members and police. And the tension wasn't less greater for the black police officers than it was for every other police officer. In fact, like one of the most, at least from, from what my remembrance growing up, like in my particular community, there was an officer who was a black officer who I would say was the most hated in the force by the people he were policing, which were majority black people. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I've never been able to grapple from, from experience first and foremost, and just purely again, from just, all of the lackings that come with the system, I've never been able to grapple with gets people from your own community to start policing your community. Like I want that narrative to go away so bad. Like, like, yeah, I get you want to have somebody that grew up here and may have a little bit more of a heart for this community that they grew up in, that they just wanted to be safe. Like, yeah, you have a few of those that come through, you know, the force, any force, if you will. But like, Putting us in position to have to still operate under those guidelines to be able to 
police our communities, if you will, or to protect our communities, which is supposed to be the whole goal of this thing, right? To protect our communities, to me, it's 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 just I don't like it at all. Like I don't even like the idea of it because now you're just gonna make us the perpetrators, and now we're gonna be having these weird ass conversations about this being different because the perpetrators race rather than the victims race. And so for me, it's like I've never really been able to kind of get with that narrative. And again, I think the work that I do has shown that. <laughs> like I've been working on systems that like are completely different alternatives from policing at large because I don't believe in the system before it is the people that are a part of the system. Um, I, I hate when we kind of get that response that like the having more black officers is going to be the answer to fixing this system. And again, you're talking to somebody that works in media where it's like, Having more, there's limited black people in media. The majority of the people that work in the space that I work in are not black. Now, I am bringing an entirely different alternative spin to media, I believe, in the work that I do than what it is that folks usually do, especially black folks in particular who get to big, huge points. And then all of a sudden we start realizing who's the coons and who's the this is and who's the they, who's the people that were willing to take that particular road to be able to get a particular uh, position or to be able to make a certain amount of money that is willing to kind of lean into what it is that the system wants for them and almost be a puppet for the system for their own individual success. So that's why it is that I operate in the way that I do in media. That's why it is that as somebody that works in sports, I still take on and tackle these tough subjects as well because I don't want to be the dude that has been known to sort of take the more traditional route and then ultimately disconnect from my people because I abided by the traditional route to reach a certain amount of success than the person that's willing to take more of a non-traditional approach to show and prove who it is and I'm representing as I enter and disrupt these spaces that really don't involve people that look or, or identify the way that I do. I would rather just be that guy in that space. And I kind of feel the same way about the system of policing. So it's, it's a, it's a systemic issue at large here in this country, but it translates from industry to industry. In this case, we just happen to be talking about policing and the ways that I try to kind of work around that system that does exist. And obviously in my own day-to-day -day work that I do professionally, I take more of a non-traditional approach to media so that I can stay and feel connected to who I am and who it is that I represent without being brainwashed, if you will, into being something else to reach a certain level of success and disconnecting from who it is I am and why I exist. And again, like I grew up in the inner cities. I don't really recall like the black officers getting treated by the the people that they policed better than the white officers because they were black. Like it, it's not really how it goes in real life too. And if you've been around the game in that regard too, which a lot of people who speak on these issues have not. So I, I'm just kind of over that narrative and I hope this helps sort of put it into that, that black police officers is going to be the answer to this system becoming better and ultimately changing because I don't think that's quite the answer because it ultimately comes down to who the victims are. And here yet again, we're talking about another black man who was violently killed by the police. And until yeah. that gets fixed, 
we could talk about I mean, all the it, random answers that we want to talk about, but yeah. that ain't those aren't the solutions that we need to be looking for or trying to attack. Yeah, I mean NWA been talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go listen to that record. Absolutely. And refresh your memory. But I mean, I will say this, like, I mean, I didn't grow up in an inner city, but I grew up in like a lower middle class suburb. And and even there, it's like when you hear, ah, oh, so-and-so that you grew up with or whatever is now a police officer, the sentiment is like, you're a turncoat. I, you know you're what? A, you defected. And and I, I think even beyond just that, like, usually in black neighborhoods in particular, like, the black people that become the police officers, like, I've gone to school with people that are black that have become police officers and it is absolutely zero surprise to me <laughs> that they were the black dudes that became the police officer. Yeah. I'm going to just keep it real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like you was kind of a narc back in seventh like, grade, brother. Like. like, you were the dude that if it was anybody that I think would turn on us, it would be you. And it, it happens almost every time yeah. that... I've never been able to say, wow, I never expected that guy to be a police officer. At least maybe I have, but it's been very few and far in between in comparison to the black dudes that I know that have become police officers. And they'd be like, yeah, well, it's no shock that you became a police officer because it's you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I just have those. I run into those types of instances far more than I run into. Damn, I never expected you to become a cop, bro. Like. It's just few and far in between in that regard. Dude, it's so weird, too, because, I mean, there are other places in this country that that is like, I mean, pun intended, a badge of honor yeah. to, like, become a police officer. For sure. And then, like, even in media through the 20th century and before that, it's like that is lauded as, like, a, 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 a an achievement for for somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like a Like a – you know, like a, a something that you've you've gone and you've overcome and achieved and become part of this fraternity, and so it like off it offers somebody who feels like outside of a group or a coalition or whatever fraternity that space and that that place in that space. But I mean, now it just feels like again, like I said, like that 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 illusion is gone now. This yeah. this isn't 1976. Yeah. Like, we know what time it is. You're joining the police because you want to fuck people up. Yeah. <laughs> that That's, yeah. that's ne- ne- all they do, bro. Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. And, and, and so it's just, I don't know, man. Like I said, bro, th- this is, this is an interesting one because, which by the way, like, you know, f- how many times we had these conversations on this podcast, bro. Yeah. And we'll and, continue to have, and we're going to continue to have them. And we're going to continue to dissect them and, now, I'm just hoping that you know the the sentiment and and the and the conversation moves toward a different and just the optics look differently. I mean, like even with this, you know, with the Preston 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 uh, yeah, Preston Wonderbread or whatever. Yeah, like yeah, he, that guy, that guy. Like you c- just just put him up there with the with the dudes. Yeah, like ain't nobody tripping. We know what time it is. We know that you guys are crooked ass cops. Yeah, it don't matter what you look like underneath that uniform. I cannot see past that uniform. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then you see like, and then you see like, you see politicians exchanging their American flag pins for AR on their lapels, and I just man, I see that, and my my image of an AR, fifteen. I don't know how this is going toward gun control, but I mean, these are all connected. But it's Mm -hmm. like. 
my image of an AR, the what I what I see when I think of an AR is it sitting upright in between the the driver's seat and the passenger seat of a police car. Yes, yeah. and it scares the hell out of me. Yeah, when I think of my initial image, of it. and so it's just like. You know, they're just saying the quiet part out loud, very louder and louder every time. Yeah, for like, sure, Damn. for sure. Again, rest in peace to Tyree Nichols. Condolences to the family, and again, everybody who is triggered and traumatized by us being in this position yet again. Um, now, I want to transition back to some happier news, and that is United States Senator Ron Wyden, who also happens to be a friend of this show. He announced that WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert will be visiting Portland. Um, Engelbert to take part in a roundtable discussion on February 6th in Portland, the W about uh, in Portland about the WNBA and women's sports. Um, and I'll just read more of this press release. U.S. Senator Ron Wyden today announced that WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert has accepted his invitation to participate in a panel discussion on women's sports during her visit to Portland on Monday, February 6th. The women's basketball coaches from Oregon State University and the University of Oregon, as well as top trailblazers and Thorns executives, will be among those contributing to the roundtable conversation about how the city can help continue to support the growth of women's sports in the United States of America. That's great news. Everybody that, or not everybody, but the people that are there and are going to be there, everybody that's going to be there is an, has been an integral part and will continue to be an integral part of getting WNBA back to Portland. Yeah. And they're the right people. I agree. From what I've seen. Yes. To me, it's no coincidence that it's a lot of black women up there. Which yes, there will like, be. Do you want to get something done? <laughs> That's what you call. Yeah. So agree. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, man. I'm I'm very stoked. I'm very stoked for the event because it's just we. T- I mean, we talked about it. Yeah, you and, know. And I mean, it's just another thing, man. You know, obviously, you know, if you just break down the timeline, we had Senator Wyden on this very podcast. Um, we had him talk about Brittany Griner when he led the Senate resolution. In that regard, you know, we kind of gave him a nudge and was, you know, us amongst others, you know, asked him about supporting Griner and he took action, which is one of the things that I love most about Senator Wyden. Like he he listened and he took action. You know, the there's oftentimes where we have this converse these conversations and people just listen. But it's one thing to listen, it's another thing to follow up with that listening with action or to that listening with action. And he does that. I've seen him do it time and again, um, starting in the political space, the work that I've been able to do with him, you know, with Street Roots, working at Street Roots, and then being able to just sort of translate that into the sports space again, leading a bipartisan resolution for Brittany Griner. I still think that holds so much value that doesn't get discussed enough in her actually being released and home here today, regardless of how it happened and, and what you think about it happening. Um, I'm glad that the woman made it home. And I do believe that having bipartisan support was needed for the Biden administration to do whatever it was that needed to get done to secure Brittany Griner's return. Um, and then obviously, you know, we during that same conversation we had with him here on the podcast, I asked him about the idea of having a WNBA team here in the market. He was thrilled about it. He supported it. Um, he, he was all down for it. And he followed that conversation up 
by writing a letter to Kathy Engelbert and to Adam Silver. And, you know, the response to the letter was great. And here we are now, fast forward to February, and Kathy Engelbert is coming into town. And I think the Wyden administration has, as you mentioned, got all the right people to come be a part of this. You know, you got Portland Thorns execs. We know how successful they are. You know, you've got Blazers execs. We know how important it is to have the support of the Blazers to be able to make this happen, not only for the security of being able to bring a WNBA team here, but also the security of being able to keep the Portland Trail Blazers here as well, as many people have, you know, questions in regards to the ownership and how much it cares about the Blazers' connection to the city of Portland since, you know, the prior owner has has passed away. And so... You know, you again, you you think about the success in recent years that the Ducks and the Beavers women's basketball programs have had. You know, we're used to them being top 25 teams, you know, under Scott Ruick with the with the with the Beavers. You know what I'm saying? And 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 we just we just I really love to see that that we are at this place. Kelly Graves, obviously, coaching the Ducks as well. The Sabrinas, who he's brought through. We know the success there. It's just really great to see, even all the way down to we're seeing the Blazers. A lot of their execs are are women, and, and not just the execs, even the interns. Evina Westbrook, she's in the WNBA currently, born and raised. I don't know if she's born and raised, but she grew up here in Oregon. Um, you know, and and now she's playing in the W. She's currently an intern for the Portland Trail Blazers. You know what I'm saying? So I think just seeing what it is that's being done right now and and how strategic Senator Wyden and his team has been to be able to not only make sure that this conversation and this roundtable discussion happens, but to also ensure that this this discussion has all the people needed to be there to make sure that everything that needs to be heard will be heard, you know, by Kathy Engelbert in the consideration of expanding w, the WNBA into this market. So, again, I applaud him. I salute him. Um, I've seen him do it time and again. And y'all know how critical I am of politicians. Y'all know how critical I can be in regards to politics. Um, but this is a dude that I've seen listen and act time and time again and that doesn't get lost amongst me especially obviously with the connection and the relationship that I've been able to have with him you know doing the type of work that I've been able to do with advocacy and things that are like I'll say this I see there's a lot of blazer people there Uh, like you mentioned the ownership aspect and you know you roll it in with the trailblazers and you know they're going to keep the team around whatever if you're going to do this for real for real you got to go as many toes as you got all the way into the sand because the WNBA is thick. <laughs> you can't come out here half-stepping with some halfway in, halfway out team because you're going to get bounced on every single night. It's a, it's going to be a gauntlet all the time, yeah. worse and worse, competition-wise. Yes, absolutely. And so, absolutely. And so, and, and, and you know, we know that Portland is in a favorable position to have the support from the fan side of things. Yes. There's clearly no lack of uh, basketball, excuse me, talent 
So that part, I mean, unless everyone wants to go to the same two or three teams, yeah, <laughs> which is sure. where, but it's like, yo, you got, that's why I'm just a little reticent to hear that like, okay, I mean, if you just like take the the expedited route of, of rolling it up into a package with the Portland Trailblazers, then, you know, you just hope that you don't get the, the complacency from the owner yeah. that the Portland Trailblazers are unlucky to have sometimes yeah. on the WNBA but, because but, it'll but, just be a, a, a bad start to but, that. But that's why I, I, I can't appreciate, again, you know, what they've been able to do with the interns, folks like Avina Westbrook. You got Asia Jones, who's the director of basketball strategy. You know what I mean? She's yeah. an Olympic gold medalist, a WNBA champion. You know, she's had a lot of success in that space. So it is good that the execs within the organization that aren't the owners are being represented here in this very moment because they are, and I think for one, they're priming themselves to be able to potentially work for this WNBA team by the work it is that they're doing currently right, with the right. Portland Trailblazers. So we can start there. Like yeah. just that's a connective piece that I'll put together. I don't know if everybody else has, but somebody has enough because they're the ones that are being invited and being named on this press release right. as as people who will be a part of this roundtable discussion. So I do think it is cool that you'd have, even though you might have a lack of interest, if you will, from the current owner of the Trailblazers for that particular organization. I do think the interest, the interest of the current execs within the organization can help to break some of that up, if you will. And again, maybe potentially help be able to build out this WNBA team that, that could be to come by way of WNBA expansion. So I, I still like the signs and I still, you know, have some optimism in that regard, even with what it is that are the question marks coming from ownership from the Portland Trailblazers currently. Because, again, man, you got – I mean, I think Jenny, the owner of the sports bra, will be the one that, that'll be hosting this conversation. Like, the names are there. Joe Cronin still – he'll, yeah, he'll be, be there, there. The, the Blazers general manager. Like, the names are there. The people that – you want to be there, will be there, and obviously Senator Wyden will be there representing this state as a United States senator and somebody who, again, has 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 spearheaded this movement almost, if you will. And I'll tell you, I'm far more optimistic about a WNBA team coming here than I was when they tried to go and get uh, Russell Wilson and Sierra to help us secure a uh, Major League Baseball team. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> and, and, and that's where, like, there is still a little bit of a separation. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the influence that athletes and entertainers have in society. And we're even seeing it a lot more in politics as well. But, like, this is where, like, having a United States senator, our senior senator, the chair of the finance committee, of the Senate finance committee, holds a little bit more weight when it comes to my optimism and being able to bring a professional sports franchise to the market than does an NFL quarterback and a phenomenal singer slash entertainer in good, Sierra. The goodies, <laughs> you know the goodies girl. The goodies, yeah. It's like, it's just, it's, nah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like there's a lot more to be said about Senator White and kind of spearheading this movement yeah. than it did, oh, we're bringing Russell Wilson and Sierra to town to talk about how they want to see a Major League Baseball team in Portland. Like, it's a little bit easier to get things done with the politicians on your side than it is to get things done with just celebrities. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a farce. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because I already knew when it came to Major League Baseball coming to Portland, its biggest hurdle and obstacle 
was going to be politics. You know what I'm saying? And breaking ground on a new stadium, again, I say it all the time, I'm a believer sports are inherently political. And the reality of it is, if you aren't getting political in your approach, oftentimes we people just we see people think that money and capitalism is the answer. And oftentimes it is. Like, money does talk. We, we know that. We understand that. But, like, you also have to have some political backing, I feel like, in this day and age, when you want to bring any professional sports market, I mean, sports team to any American market. Like, you have to have political backing. So Senator Wyden is is huge in, in the way he stepped up in supporting and advocating to bring a WNBA team to a market that I think is prime for it and that I think the WNBA would have great success in. So I'm I'm excited about that, man. And I'm excited to be there for the roundtable discussion, too. Oh, you thought I wasn't? Oh, yeah, we'll be in there. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, we're going to be, be in the building. I, we forgot to mention that part. <laughs> yeah, of course we're going to be there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Catch us on Absolutely. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going to be. Shoot. We'll be there. We'll be there. Again, like I said, we we this is something that we've pushed for, and these are conversations that we've had for a long time on this podcast and didn't run away from, and we we made sure to, to continue to have these conversations. And again, you know, I, I'm grateful to have even the relationship that I do have with Senator Wyden, um, you know, and, and shout out to Hank Stern as well as press secretary. Shout who, out to who, Hank who's Stern. Listen, who's listening Holla to this show me. as we speak right now because he, he might be our biggest fan. I think he is. And I'm not saying that in like a fanboy type of way, but like our biggest supporter, I should say. He 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 might be just that. Like yeah. like he he taps in with Wake Up and Win. I actually just saw him a few days ago. He came down to the Portland State game over the weekend. I got to hang out with him for a little bit after that. So Hank's the guy, man. And Hank is is also somebody of great significance as well. And and who's who's right there side by side with Senator Wyden as his press secretary, who I think is doing a great job and and must be and should be commended as well. In fact, I might even get Hank on the podcast next week. Hold me to that, Hank. I know you're listening. You as well, Spencer. Hold me to yeah, that. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll get Hank so, on the podcast because he's a sports guy too. Big time Georgetown fan. Yeah. You know. Big time Ducks fan, big time Blazers fan. So let's bring Hank on the let's podcast because I, I and oftentimes we don't it's bring. A, it's it's about time. It's about that time. It's yeah. about that time. Hank, consider yourself invited to the Wake yeah, Up and Win podcast we, next week. You feel it on your back. We're coming for you. Bro. <laughs> We're getting you. Consider this your invitation, <laughs> Hank. I'm not even gonna text you and tell you. Consider I'm not gonna call invitation. you. I'm not gonna email you. I'm not gonna hit you up. I'm gonna wait until you hear this, and then from there you can reach out to me and tell me invitation accepted and that's how we'll do with that lastly man brady finally retired again <laughs> hey man giselle did you see the statement she made she's like i wish you luck in your life Ooh, yeah. that would hurt <laughs> i mean it might not hurt because Ooh, the man is about to get hurt. paid 400 million dollars for the next however many years to broadcast for fox oh, so right. it might hurt but it might not hurt that bad he's got a safe space to he's land on that's cushion. for sure big he's got a pretty nice 400 million dollar <laughs> cushion to land on for the next decade so i mean but hey, it's like, yeah it's time it. for him to get out of there dude oh, yeah. you can't oh, yeah. you can't hang well i mean i i do truly believe like you bring up giselle and i'm not here to get into like the familial dynamics that's not really what i do no but i do believe like there's there i mean going through everything that he was going through with his family like football might have been the distraction that he needed to 
get through that process, especially because football has pretty much been all he's had in his 47 years of life. Like, all he's known is football. So it's like now you go through what, you know, tends to be a a very traumatic and traumatizing and and trying time in your life as far as your family is concerned and your family dynamics. Like, maybe this year of coming back to football was because he's seen a direction that that was going in and football was just what he absolutely needed to be able to even get through that. And, I mean – I've used sports as a coping that's mechanism. I, that's an interesting perspective. You know I, what I mean? I, I've used because, yeah. and I'm only saying that as somebody who is an athlete and has used sports as a coping mechanism. I'm sure you, as a musician, have used music oh, as a coping mechanism. And I don't think that we need to downplay the fact that when this is something that you've dedicated your all to for such a long time, that it's probably the easiest thing to use as your coping mechanism. So that's kind of my theory. On why he even came back this last season. Um, you know, he was going through a lot. It was a very trying time in his life. You're going through a divorce. This stuff is happening so publicly for him. I, it may feel like all he had was the football to be able to just get him through that time. Things are finalized now. You know, he's uh, and now he's finally able to retire and kind of, you know, put that part of his life behind him. And I'm happy for him, quite frankly, you know, again, knowing that he's got a, a, a very nice cushion to land on, deservingly so, based on all it was that he's been able to accomplish within the sport. Um, you know, he's 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 that dude, man. He's the GOAT. I mean, he he's can't the be, GOAT. He can't be any worse of an, an, uh, an analyst than Gronk and Romo, so <laughs> <laughs> let's find out, bro. Get Hand that man a mic. <laughs> Yeah, so interesting to see how that goes for him. I'll be I'll be following him in that regard. Like I said, he's the goat, man. That's like that's like Jordan joining the media. Yeah, you know what I'm be, saying? Like, yeah. like straight up, right, like Tom Brady joined. I mean, fortunately, you know, we've had the luxury of LeBron being a media guy, you know, in recent years as well. So, speaking of which, tomorrow is Michael Jordan Day, and I guess they're going to do this whole media thing on ESPN, like all Jordan content all day. No, that's fire. Yeah. I, I'll tune in to what I could of that when yeah. I'm not working, which is pretty much all day. So yeah, all the time. We'll see how that goes. Um, you got anything else? You good to go? Just holler at us on GoBoxers.com. Listen to these games this weekend. Tune in ESPN Plus to hear Devon. For sure. Follow me, Split Fan Gundy. I'm uh, Pounce at- underscore Station, baby. You already know. And, uh, we are going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and, and go, go win. win.